<laughs> well, thank you all for having me and uh, allowing me to uh, talk on Romans 13 today. And uh, I think it is a, a timely passage that has a whole lot to say to us as people who I think it was well said earlier are dual citizens. We are citizens in heaven, though we have a God who is, who is king of kings, right, and lord of lords, who reigns over any and all rulers and authorities everywhere throughout span and time and all history. But we are also citizens in this country, which the Lord has given us roles and duties as people to follow, to be a blessing to this nation and to be a blessing to our neighbor and to love them, right? To love God is also to love neighbor. And so we learn a little bit in this passage today um, a little bit what that looks like. I want to read to you, we read it earlier, but I want to reread this in Philippians chapter 3 real fast. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. On the cross, Jesus Christ was crucified and died as a guilty man, although he was not guilty of anything. He said before he passed, it is finished. What was his work that it was finished? Living a perfect and a righteous life, serving his people now and forevermore so that he might reign as King of kings and Lord of lords over people all space and all time. And he was raised from the grave on the third day, and now he sits on the throne, reigning and ruling for all eternity. And that is good news. It's good news for us, because every ruler and every authority that is ever set in place in the past, present, and in the future is subject to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that is good news. But even though we are citizens in heaven and that even though our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, which it is as great news for us, that he's working in and through all things, which he is, he also calls us to roles and responsibilities. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Romans 13. When I was um, going through um, this passage earlier this week, it, it really struck me um, that a lot of people... Um, and as I was reading also, a lot of pastors were asking this question that if God had had a vote, would he have voted in our 2020 election, both Democrat or Republican? And now as I was doing this kind of study and, and listening to other sermons and listening to other people quote on this in the time, I had to stop and think about that question. Um, I don't think it's a great question, but I think there was some, some helpful comments that I even found. Dr. Kruger, he is RTS Sem Seminary president, wonderful biblical theologian. And he addresses this kind of question because people often ask him, um, is God a Republican or is he a Democrat? What, what is he? And he says, and I think when people ask me this statement, um, I respond in a certain way, but I don't know if I really like that statement, he says. I don't know if I really like this question. He says, it depends on what somebody's doing with the statement that God's Republican or Democrat. He says, if they are simply saying and seeing that no political party is an absolute match with everything the Bible says, that's true. 
In that sense, of course, we can agree that Jesus was neither a Democrat or Republican because no political party is going to be an exact fit with everything we believe and that Jesus would have believed. But Christians are obligated to do the hard work of determining which party comes closer to the Christian worldview. Oftentimes, that is not what people then mean by the phrase or the question, who would God vote for or is he Democrat or is he Republican? What people often mean when they say that or ask this question is that because the Bible does not match exactly with any political party, therefore how a Christian votes is entirely a free-for-all, that there are no boundaries or things that could possibly determine how you think, how you vote, how you act. Whether you vote this way or that way, it does not matter because Jesus was neither Democrat or Republican. But I would disagree with this interpretation, that phrase that we do not have a 100% match with what the Bible teaches in a political party. But that does not mean that there are not some political parties that come closer to what the Bible actually teaches. I think it's the job of every believer to ask the simple question, which political candidate or political party most closely matches the biblical worldview that the Bible holds to, rather than taking the easy way out and saying it doesn't really matter how you vote. I think the Christian is obligated to the state, obligated to the rulers and authorities that are set above them to think critically about the values and the views and how they go about living out those values and views in the world today. And so I liked his response because he addressed it and some of the under lying issues. And obviously this was a really big week and we, we had results yesterday. We did. And I think it's really helpful to begin for us to think about what is God doing? How is God at work in ways that maybe you guys, some of you are excited, some of you are not excited, what it is. But I think it's helpful for us to think about God is neither one side or the other because he reigns and rules over all. I think the question is, is he or would he vote for either side is too small of a question for God because God is infinitely bigger. He is not a peer or co-equal. He is the reigner and ruler of over all things, all processes, all rulers, all authorities. And I think Kruger's quote helps us think about that as well, that God is in control. He's always good. He's always faithful to his people. But at the same time, we have also an obligation to think about our values, our votes. But not only that, we have an obligation that when those people are elected and set above us, whether it's your boss, whether it's a ruler or authority of any kind, a president, a vice president, whether we have our house reps or senate, whatever it might be, that we are called to actually obey them and to pray for them and seek their good. And so not only are we thinking about, yes, our vote, our thoughts, as we are this week. But we're also thinking about, as I think we had a great question, what now? And I think Romans 13 gives us a lot of thoughts about what now. I think it really does. So let me read to you Romans 13. This is where we're going to sit today. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of one's own conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. And so we think about this as implications as individuals, but we also think about the implications of this as the church, as a collective of people, because how we think, how we speak, how we act matters in the shadow, right, of a a polarizing election, but certainly in light of what God calls you and I to do as heavenly citizens, but also American citizens as well too. And so what we see in this passage are really three things with great clarity. That rulers are instituted by God, verses one and two. We see rulers, though, are also used as servants of God and are God's avengers against wrongdoers in three and four. And third, which is gonna be probably a tougher one for us to think about and the implications of it, but it calls us to honor our rulers and to pay our taxes, both and. Give respect to whom respect is owed and those who are placed. And so we're gonna talk about that and how we are able to do this and how God calls us to do this, to do good things. And so when we look at point one, rulers instituted by God, verses one and two, we see this. Do you know what the context is in which Paul is saying this? That you are to know that the rulers and authorities placed above you, no matter the process, that they're being allowed to be in that position by God. Do you realize that? But do you know the context in which Paul's actually saying this? Who's, who's in control in Rome? Who's the ruler or authority that has all the power in Rome over this Roman church in the first century when Paul's saying this? To somebody who loves Jesus, who's espousing wonderful Christ-like values? No. Emperor Nero is not a friend of Jesus. He's not a friend of Christians. He is foretold of that he even used some Christians in some of his parties. He would use them as human torches, lighting them on fire to, to light up his parties. Not only that, it is told that he also blamed Christians for the great fire in Rome, whether that happened or not. But you have a guy who is clearly no friend to the Lord, right? No friend Um, to these Christians, right? This growing belief in this person of Jesus and their followers. And so Paul is saying to this young Roman church, amidst this context, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Show obedience, right? Deference to these leaders. Listen to, understand, follow, respect them, their decrees, right? Their laws, their governing authorities, because God has allowed them to be in the place that they are. Paul says, there is no authority except from God and all existing rulers have been instituted by God. And I know sometimes the modern mind is blown by that kind of concept and thinking that that might be true, right? How could the Lord allow people like the Hitlers and the Stalins, the Mussolinis, Pol Pot, Saddam Hussein, right? And all sorts of other insidious folks kind of come into play. And I would simply tell you this, that there's a caveat here with, with following our rulers and authorities. And we're going we're gonna to see that because you might say, well, Jeff, I, I can recall in some of the Bible stories that not always did God's people follow rulers and authorities. So how does that jive here with Romans 13 
And we're going to see the caveat here. So the norm is in everyday life, Romans 13, you are to follow the rules, the leaders, to pray for them, to care for them. But insofar as they do not call you to do great moral evil, to command you to directly do moral evils, you are not called to do that. You're to follow your king of kings and lord of lords, right? Your true king. And so we see examples of this in like the book of Exodus. We had Pharaoh who was in charge of Egypt, one of the most powerful nations during this time. And what did he ask the Hebrew midwives to do in Exodus? Murder all the Hebrew boys that are born because right in the threat of there might be another king, let's just go ahead and squash that. So all the Hebrew midwives, decree goes out to you specifically, murder all the male born children. Did they do that? They didn't. Did that please the Lord that they didn't murder these male children? It did please the Lord, right? This is a direct command to do moral evil. They were not to do it. The Lord protected them and blessed them, right? And there's some things that happened. So they were not called to do that. But the rule and authority was calling them to do great evil. They did not, right? Because who did they follow? They followed Yahweh, who obviously is not about that kind of personal murder and vengeance, right? But what else do we see? We also see aspects, right, of even uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? What were they told to do? They were told to bow down to a golden image, right? To worship, essentially, somebody other than God. And what did they do? They said no, right? They said no to the rulers and authorities. I will not bow down. And that was good, right? The Lord protected them, was with them. We also see that Daniel was told, right, not to pray to God by Darius the Mede. But what did Daniel do? He prayed to God, right? And so we see these pictures, right? Even Peter in, in Acts chapter four and five, when he's told not to preach in the name of Jesus, what does he say to the Sanhedrin? He says, we must obey God rather than men. So here's some caveats there. When you're called by your rulers and authorities to do direct moral evil, you're to follow your king of kings and lord of lords, right? The true king who says, no, I am not calling you to do moral evil. But in regards to everyday life of the Christian, you must realize the rulers and authorities have been instituted for society's good, for laws, for structuring, for order, and obviously even punishment on wrongdoing. And so everyday life, we are called to obey them insofar as it doesn't call us to great moral evil, direct commands, Right? And so we see this. Sometimes the Lord institutes rulers over nations, right? Over tribes, over countries. Sometimes it's to bless those nations. You see that in biblical history. Sometimes you also see the Lord allow and instill certain leaders to punish or discipline certain nations. And sometimes in the Bible, you also see rulers who are allowed to rule and reign that they are reflections of the people themselves in ways. And so you see the Lord uses rulers and authorities in all sorts of different ways and means that we don't always fully fathom as individuals being prisoners of our cultural moment. But the Lord's at work on a different level because he's transcendent and eternal. But when we look at verses three and four, we see some other very particular and practical ways in which the Lord calls us to follow rulers and authorities set above and to respect them. What else does he say? He says in verses three and four, for rulers are not to be a terror to good conduct, but a terror to bad conduct. Would you, right, Roman Christians, have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive, right, their approval. For he, rulers and authorities, right, 
is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So do our rulers and authorities, whether we like them or not, sometimes also have a very specific role to play in God's large world and throughout the, the, a large amount of people? Yes, and certainly protection and order and punishing evil is one of those things. When we, when we see vengeance in the Bible, you see the Lord says, vengeance is mine, not yours individually, but mine, says the Lord. But what is one of those earthly means in which sometimes the Lord gets discipline or vengeance on great evil? Sometimes by rulers and authorities, using them as the sword, using the state. And that's a good thing. We need that order. We need justice. We ought to pray that our elected officials would be people and men and women of great justice, right? We ought to do that. Because what's, what's the reality apart from order, apart from this justice? It's anarchy and chaos, right? And if any of you watch The Walking Dead, or if you've seen movies like I Am Legend or World War Z or Mad Max of any of the old or new versions, you know anarchy is not good for anybody, Right? And so that is not the way forward. We need rulers and authorities. And God institutes them in very specific ways. And protection is one of those good ways that they are called to protect their people. We ought to encourage and also help our rulers and authorities in that endeavor of protecting people for common good, to love neighbor. They are to punish wrongdoers and to be the sword of justice sometimes, right? And guess what? If that justice isn't fully utilized on this side of the grave, guess what? Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, he will get final justice on the other side of the grave. Amen? He will. And so we can be a people who can pray for our rulers that they would actually wield their power well and for the good of people. And we ought to be people who pray for that because that's one of the reasons the Lord actually pulls them into their offices. But what else does the Lord call us to do? as earthly citizens as well. He also calls us to be a people who would honor our rulers, to respect our rulers, and to pay our taxes. These are very practical things, right? And especially in our polarized world right now, some of these things may be harder than others. But certainly, what's an implication of this? To honor those whom honor is owed and respect those who respect is owed, which is exactly what Paul is calling it's to not disparage people who you disagree with, rulers and authorities that maybe you do not like, maybe you do like, but it's your job to not disparage or dishonor them. And let me tell you, I know around the Thanksgiving table, it's very easy for us to do that in family settings. And my encouragement to you, as it was to my students, pull out Romans 13 at the Thanksgiving dinner and say, hey, how might this bear on our conversation that we might have disparaging whoever you know, it might be, Right? We're to be a people who may not have to love and like everything. I understand that. But we are to be a people who encourage and pray for the goodness, the justice, the power to be distributed because the Lord has allowed these people to be in place. And so we are called to honor them, to show them deference, respect. And a lot of that has to do with in our thought and in our words. And I mean that. Especially now more than ever, you all have power and ways to text write email, to send stuff around, memes, all sorts of things, which would be an easy way to tear down or disparage rulers, to just share something, right? 
through whatever means, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Restrain yourselves and don't do that, right? Instead, be a person who encourages others. Be a person who prays for and encourages other people to encourage and pray for the rulers and authorities in place. I don't mean just presidents and vice presidents, but I also mean, all right, in the Senate and House. I mean also locally, your boss, right? People who you are your direct report to. Things like this. We are called to be a people who would seek their good and their welfare. We're to be a people who are like that. Did Jesus Christ on the cross, um, did he mock Pontius Pilate? Did he disparage Caesar? No, he said, pay to Caesar all what Caesar is owed. Are we to be Christians, people who follow after Christ, his life and example? Yes, we are. So do we have carte blanche freedom to just tear down people? Your boss, rulers and authorities have been placed over you, rhymes and reasons we don't always fully fathom. No, you don't have that luxury. We are to restrain our tongue to be a people of encouragement and care, to build up, to be a people who pray for good things, to be a part of the solution and to not just be another part of the problem. And so that is one of those things we are reminded time and time again, just as Daniel in a, in a pagan nation, he tried to care for his rulers, care for his people, we are to model those things, to be model citizens, to be a praying people, to be a caring people, to be a encouraging people, to be a supporting people, because we want to see other people do well. We want to see them know the Lord. We want to see them do well also, not just eternally, but temporally, right? Both and. And so we have so many examples in the Bible that this is the case. One thing about taxes, yes, tax fraud is evil to the Lord as well as it is to your local government, right? So that's bad, right? We can just pull that one straight from the text. Pay your taxes, all right? But I can also say that even if you might not like what the rulers and authorities do with your tax money, it's your job to still pay those taxes. You will not have to account for the policies and legislation of what they do with those tax funds. They will account to the Lord and they will have to give a rhyme and a reason for the things that they did when they meet the Lord on judgment day. But as for you, ordinary citizen, you are to pay what you are to pay, to follow, be good citizens. And so we see some of these things, right? To be subject, obedient in these ways, not to violate God's law, to be a people who encourage those rulers and authorities. We even see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, let me read to you this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified life in every way. And that this is good and this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all peoples to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jeremiah 29 talks about also our role to care for our rulers and authorities, but also the broad, the city in which our rulers and authorities are supposed to care for. He says, Seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. And we know that obviously our rulers and authorities have a disproportionate, maybe even amount of ability to affect the welfare of the city, right? We know that. So be a people who pray for the rulers and authorities over your city as well. 
right? Care for them, encourage them, build them up, influence them in positive ways, right? How about this? Jeremiah 17 talks about us trusting in the Lord when sometimes it's not easy. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, for he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. No matter who reigns and who rules because God is king, because the word of God remains forever, even nations rise and fall, you too can actually still bear fruit in droughts and times of difficulty, trials, tribulations, and COVID-19 chaos. You can still grow when you're connected to the Lord, praying when you're being obedient to the Lord, his scripture and the way he's calling you to do. You can still grow, bear fruit, and you can be a blessing to other people. You're called to. But first, just trust in the Lord, right? That he's working in and through all things. And this is my last point, and we're gonna close with this. Jesus is king and ruler and authority. It is finished. His work is finished. Good news is secured. That he is king of kings and Lord of lords. In the book of Daniel, and it was foretelling of the coming Messiah and the good news that we would have as a people, Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Isaiah, foretelling of this same same king to come, said, for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And our last passage is this, Hebrews chapter one, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much more superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs, for he is king of kings and lord of lords. Nations will rise and fall, right? Policies will come and go, but the Lord and his word will stand forever. Amen? Amen. Let our trust be in that. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful, you are kind, and you are good. Lord, in all ways, in all times, Lord, you are faithful to your people, that you are good, Lord, help us to be a people who bear fruit in these hard times during this pandemic, Lord, during the polarization, Lord, even of our country. Help us to be a people who are encouraging, who are supportive, Lord, who are loving to our neighbor, Lord, who restrain the evils of tongue, that we would, Lord, be a people who model, Lord, truly your love. Lord, as you have first loved us, Lord, we have an infinite source of love to be, Lord, loving to others, and to love our enemies, to love those who would disagree with us, think differently us, who would value things differently than us. Help us to love them, Lord. It's not easy, but Lord, make this practical in our life today and all the days forward. If that's asking for forgiveness because we've been disparaging, 
Lord, to our rulers and authorities, to friends or to family, Lord, help us to apologize to those people to be a good example. Lord, if it's restraining our tongues around the Thanksgiving dinner table, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we need to be a people, Lord, who model your faithfulness and love and encouragement and care and who are reminded that, Lord, you are eternally on the throne, always at work, Lord, always good and always God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I ask